And as those baskets are making their way around, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we're just going to hit on three or four verses this morning. I don't know what you do on Tuesday night, but Susan and I do, well, me as a male, do, does what every other female in America between the ages of 25 and 52 does on Tuesday night. What is that, ladies? We watch This Is Us, of course. We're sucked into the television drama, the social phenomenon of our lives. It's the story of Jack and Rebecca from Pittsburgh. They have three children. Two are twins, identical twins. Plus, they have an adopted African-American child named Randall. And Randall goes on to have a very successful life. He marries, has two beautiful kids of his own. He's wealthy, lives outside of New York, has a huge job. And this latest series of episodes takes us kind of in this journey in his life, in the life of his family, where he kind of has a, I don't want to say it's a midlife crisis, but it's kind of like a purpose of life crisis. He begins to ask the questions of why am I here and what am I doing and what is my life all about? And in the middle of all that, we, we see where they decide, this family does, to become a foster family. You see, Randall, because he was adopted, has this idea that he wants to honor his father for the, and mother for the way they adopted him. He wants to invest himself in children who have need. He wants to sort of pay it forward. And we're seeing all these stories of redemption come together as, as they take this plunge into foster care. And it really kind of got me thinking that as Christians, how do we answer that question? Why do we adopt? Why do we have Sundays like this? Why, why do we hold up foster care and ministry to the least of these? Why, why do we take that so seriously? How would we answer the Randall question? And there's a lot of ways to answer that, which I think are great answers. There's biblical commands to take care of orphans, is there not? And widows. There's biblical commands to take care of the least of these, those who were those who are born with disabilities. You know, it's I I, this past week I happened to meet a former Four Oaks who had moved out of town, and um, she had been on staff here many years ago and and has a Down syndrome little two year old, precious, amazing, awesome. And as I was talking to her, I was reminded that in Canada they estimate soon there will be no more Down syndrome children because they are all being aborted. So there's biblical commands to take care of those in need, those who are poor. There's other reasons that we we adopt, right? We can't have biological children, so we want to extend our name to the next generation, and all that is good and right. But, hear this, Four Oaks, adoption is not the ultimate goal. Am I supposed to say that on Adoption Sunday? (laughs) It's a goal, but it's not the ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal? Paul tells us. Look in Galatians 4, verse 4. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We might say, 
Paul's being, Paul is being insensitive here. Paul, Paul's not being gender inclusive. He's talking about sons. We have to remember, Paul, ladies, Paul is paying the highest compliment and privilege to not just men but women. Remember that in this culture, women had no rights. And he has just told us in chapter 3 that there is no difference in Christ, slave or free, man or woman. And so, so for you as a daughter of God to have all the rights and privileges of, be, of, of, of a son, that is extraordinarily revolutionary. The Greek word for adoption, huiustia, is a rare term. And interestingly enough, and there, we don't know this for sure, but there's, there's, there's some evidence for it, that this word was not found in the Greek language before the New Testament. Well, we see it a little bit after the New Testament. Some have proposed that Paul may have actually coined this term himself. It means to place as a son, to take something that's here, to place it over here, and to make it something that it's not. And one of the reasons we think that Paul might have been compelled to do this is because there is no existing, there was no existing concept to capture the reality of what Paul is talking about here. See, adoption in the Roman culture was incredibly common. Okay, we, we, we think about, have you ever seen the old movie with Charlton Heston, Judah Ben-Hur? And, and, and Judah is a, is a slave on a Roman galley ship. He's, he's, he's a Jewish slave. And he's horribly mistreated, and there is an accident. There, the boat comes under attack. And Judah, not because he had to, but just because of the benevolence of his heart, decides to save the Roman general, commander, who was drowning. And upon their return to land, that Roman general adopts Judah as his own son. See, that's the way it worked. Successors passing the family line down, emperors, Caesars, it was rarely father to biological son. It was more likely to be father to whoever was faithful, to whoever was the best looking or had the best prospects for success. Even Caesar, sometimes it was only a distant, distant relative that they would pass the crown to. Because that is not how adoption works in God's economy. Adoption is not based on your faithfulness. Adoption as a son of God is not based upon your prospects to do great things for God. No. Adoption is based upon God's faithfulness for you and God's faithfulness for me. Listen to how Ephesians 1 describes this. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Predestined before the foundation of the world, he decided, I'm going to adopt you through Jesus Christ, not because you were awesome or because you could drive a chariot like Ben-Hur or nothing like that. It's just simply because out of my grace and favor. Back to Galatians 4, verse 4 for a second. See, here's the spiritual reality that Paul describes. It says, we were cursed, we were cut off, we were enemies of God. The way that Paul says that is that we were under the law. And it says that Christ came and died and took our place. 
Look what Paul says there in verse 5. He redeemed us, meaning he bought us back. Remember last week we talked about the Reformation and Martin Luther. Luther called this the great exchange, right, where we are justified before God, not based upon what we've done, but because of God's declaration that we are now righteous in his sight. But yet, and don't throw stones at me, right, let me finish. (laughs) Justification wasn't the highest goal. Your justification, your declaration that you would be forgiven, not guilty, as amazing as that is and as fundamental as that is, and, and we live and die on the doctrine of justification by faith, it wasn't the ultimate goal. Look at verse 5. This is just, this is amazing. So it says that Jesus was sent forth, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? What does it say? So that. So that. In order that, for the purpose of, God justified you so that you would receive an even higher blessing. And that higher blessing is that you would be adopted. God wouldn't just bring you back to ground zero. He says, no, no, no. All the rights and privileges of being a son of God. Listen to how Packer describes this. This is a great quote. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. Now listen to this, it's so sweet. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and he establishes us as as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God is a great thing. It's a great thing, Four Oaks. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Back to our original question, why adoption? What are we doing here when we adopt and celebrate adoption? Really, what's at stake? For all the the blessings that we talked about before in terms of caring for the least of these and and those who are marginalized and those who have no home and no parents or carrying on our family name, as awesome as all those are, they're not the fundamental reason. Fundamental reason, Dan Kruver says, is this. Here's this quote. Orphan care, listen, this is beautiful, is gospel reenactment. When we were on the outside without hope and home, Jesus brought us into his family. What Jesus did for us is the gospel. Today, there are millions of orphans in the world without hope and home. And when we give orphans hope, when we bring orphans into our families, we reenact the gospel. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing piece that we get to play in the part of God's story. You're going to hear a story this morning about orphan care. 
And it's an amazing, inspiring story. But it's more than that. Remember that as you watch this. It's gospel reenactment. I direct your attention to the screen. an amazing Christian family. My dad was a pastor, so we grew up knowing right from wrong and knowing what we should and should not do. And most of my life, I think I probably was the good girl until I hit high school. And then I started making some poor decisions and poor choices and friendships. And I had set goals and values that I wanted to kind of have, like not having sex before marriage or... Not doing drugs or having alcohol or smoking, and I didn't leave high school with any of those intact. Well, my senior year, my um, father was diagnosed with cancer, and um, while they were away, was the first time that I really did probably hardcore drugs. I'd gotten kicked out of the house where I was staying while they were away for three months, and so just making poor choices after poor choices. I think one of the last times I talked to her before she came home was, she says, Mother, that's why I never want to call you. You're never happy with anything I do. And I said, Annie, I'm sorry. If you want somebody happy with what you're doing, you need to call somebody who doesn't care about you. I found a place to live with three guys that I worked with at where I was working, and we started stealing from our employer and ended up getting caught and just continuing to spiral downhill um, with just these choices that I was making. And I saw my life somewhere that I just had no idea how I'd gotten there. And I tried to kind of get out a little bit by myself, but I was a people pleaser and I I liked the lifestyle. And there was a time where I thought that I might be pregnant and I finally saw a way out. Like, I couldn't get out for me, but I could get out for this child. And by the time I took the test, I would have been disappointed if I wasn't pregnant because I finally saw a way out. That day that I found out, I ended up setting an appointment with our pastor at our church. And I sat down with him and I told him, and he said, I don't, I don't know how your parents are going to take it, but y'all are going to get through it. And, you know, God's going to be glorified. And so I rededicated my life to Christ that night. And that night I went to my parents' house for dinner, and I told them, and it was just an amazing night. We saw a changed person immediately. It was amazing. It was like Paul on the road to Damascus. Her life had changed. Later, my mom and dad told me that I'd gotten up to go to the bathroom, and they looked at each other, and they're like, we should be upset. But we had our daughter back and unbelievably strong. You know, it talks about in scripture where, you know, train a child up in the way that they should go and when they're old they'll not turn from it. And I I had that foundation and I had that growing up that I chose to jump off that foundation. But um, I knew I knew how to come back and 
the Lord knew the one line. My mom had always said, you know, there's no line you won't cross. But Christ knew the one line that I wouldn't cross was abortion. And so he used that to, to bring me home or to draw me home. And then they took me back to where I was staying that after dinner. And one of the things I had mentioned to my dad that I was just having these cravings for fruit. And so on the way home, he pulled into public. So my mom said, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm killing the fatted calf. But I knew from the beginning that I was in no place to be raising a child. And I knew that um, this child had saved my life and that he had rescued me. And that this was God, what God was using to bring me back to him. And um, I wanted the best possible life that I could, could give him. But unfortunately, that was not with me. And so I knew from the beginning that I would place him up for adoption. Guys, I want to introduce you here to, to Nancy Richards and Annie Helms this morning. These are the two people you saw up in the video. Um, most of you probably know Nancy. Nancy is a, is a member, longtime member here at Four Oaks Community Church. Annie is her daughter, adopted daughter. And so, Nancy, maybe just for, for those who may not know some of the background of your story, um, how did you guys come to Tallahassee? You have to tell us about your kids, how, how all that happened, and their adoption. Well, is this working? It is. Okay. Um, about adoption, I was going to say you had said something about uh, you couldn't have biological children. My husband and I always said that we looked at the best that we could produce between us and opted for adoption. No. <laughs> yeah, we can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we had wanted children. I had watched my brother uh, and his wife go through surgeries and all this sort of stuff, and I thought, I'd rather have children while waiting to have children. Hmm. So early on, we considered adoption, and um, people knew that we wanted children, and we thought if we were going to be, we were on staff with Campus Crusade, and then we were with another organization, Worldwide Discipleship, and we were moved around a lot. We thought if we'd stay somewhere for two months, or for two years, we would apply. And we did, and we applied for a racially mixed child because we knew that it was a priority child and we would be able to get it. We were in Jonesboro, Georgia. That wasn't happening, we found out later. Yeah. So they said it would take five or six years. And a friend called and said they, had a, they knew of a little boy. Anyway, long story short, we talked to one of our board members who was an attorney and wanted to know, is it even legal to adopt like that? And he said, yes, he did adoption all the time. And so uh, Don and I went to meet with him, and six months later we got a call that we got Annie. That's her. Yes. <laughs> so, so Annie, for, for <clears throat> you, when did you know, when were you told that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm adopted? What was... What was that like growing up as an adopted child? Um, well, I've always known I was adopted. It was something that I think when they met me, when they brought me home, they told me I was adopted. So it's just, um, it's always been a part of who I am. Um, and um, so I, I've grown up knowing that I was adopted and what a special thing that is. So for you, when, when would you say you first came to know Christ? And then what was, what was happening, kind of the things that you were describing there that was as you were trying to find your way? Um, I would say I accepted Christ when I was younger. Um, VBS during the summer, probably fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere around there. Um, 
my life never had the fruit um, of following Christ um, and turning my entire life over to him. Um, then in high school, just starting making bad decisions, I was very much a people pleaser and a follower. And so um, kind of whichever way the wind blew, that's kind of where I went. And so um, my parents said that, you know, friends kind of happened upon me. Um, but I was not very strong in high school. Um, so I was easily swayed and just taken down a path. Though so I chose to go down the path, don't get me wrong. Um, but just making really bad decisions in high school. It really started in high school and I just started um, dabbling in a bunch of different stuff. So you referenced this in the video, but what really went through your mind the day that you found out you were pregnant? Even before that, um, I kind of had thought that I might be pregnant. Um, I smoked cigarettes, um, probably like two packs a day. And all of a sudden, um, I couldn't smoke cigarettes. Like it just, it made me sick. And I'm like, something's amiss. Um, and so I kind of had a thought that I was pregnant before I even took the test. And I immediately knew um, that this was my way out. You know, a couple times I'd tried to kind of get out of that lifestyle by myself, but I couldn't do it. I um, just didn't have enough willpower to do it. Um, but I finally saw a way out and I knew that this was what God was using to draw me home. So by the time I actually took the test, like I would have been disappointed if I wasn't pregnant. Wow. Now, mom, how, how did this news land on, on you? Uh, it's very strange. Um, because I kept telling her, I don't know what it's going to take for God to get your attention. I hope you live through it. And I had come to the point where I expected her to be in jail. And I thought, I know they have good ministries in jail, and that's where she's going to come to come back to you. So when she came home, I, I said it in the video, we saw a change. If she had, before this, if she had said that today was Sunday, I would look in the newspaper to see what day it was. If her mouth was moving, she was lying. We saw a changed life, so we were never upset with her being pregnant. It was sort of embarrassing. Here we are, Christians, and our daughter um, was pregnant, but I think there's a whole lot of things worse than pregnancy. So, Annie... <laughs> We were going to, we're going to continue the story here in a second, but, but clearly you were wrestling with, or maybe it doesn't sound like you were wrestling whether to keep the baby or not. It was, it was, was it a, was it a decision you had to wrestle through about whether to put the child up for adoption or to keep the child? Honestly, it wasn't. Um, being adopted, I know how amazing adoption is and I know how amazing my parents are. And so, um, I knew that you know, there were people out there who could love this child, you know, as well, if not better than I could. And um, I don't think I ever wrestled with the decision because I knew that this child had saved my life. I knew that God had purposely put him into my life to rescue me and to bring me home to him. And I, I felt like I owed it to him to give him the best possible chance at life that I could. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't with me. I just knew that, I don't know, adoption's amazing. And I knew that that was what God was... I knew that's God, what God's will was. Well, let's pick up the story from there to see how God began to weave the lives of two families together. I'd always said that if I could duplicate my parents, that that's what I would want for him. Their views on adoption and um, just everything about them. 
we had a friend who was an attorney and so went through the process and we'd get bio, bios from different, you know, perspective adoptive families and none of them just really felt right. Um, and I think we'd even, I'd even picked one and it just, I don't know, it didn't settle well. And our attorney said, I have this couple, they haven't even come in yet, but I just think they might be exactly what you're looking for, what you're wanting. Well, my name is Laurie Cox, and I've been married to Alan Cox for 26 years now. Well, after we got married, we were both teaching school, had been married about four years, and decided, you know what, it's probably time to start trying to have children. Well, as it would have it, for whatever reason, we were never able to get pregnant. We tried the infertility, went that route, saw a doctor for a while, and I think um, we just kind of resided that we're going to put this in God's hand. We were both teaching Sunday school, and there was an older lady at our church at the time who always prayed for all the youth Sunday school leaders and all the youth. And I asked her, I said, Miss Irene, there is something you can start praying for, that just we would have a child. And so she said, well, write it down on a card. So I wrote it down that we would have a child in God's time. And that was about Christmas time, December 1995. And um, after Christmas, I got a an article from a mission magazine with a letter and the in the magazine there was an article about adoption and the letter the note from her was like don't close any doors that God might open he might have a plan like this for you and just what great parents you and Alan will be I'll be praying for you all and at the time I was like that is so sweet and I folded it away and put it in a drawer and kind of tucked it away but I think God really started working on my heart at that point you know, the only way probably at this point in our lives that we would consider adoption is God would have to drop it in our laps. And literally three weeks later, I get a phone call from a family friend who was really good friends with my parents and was in a Bible study with an attorney in Tallahassee and called me after school one day and was like, Laurie, I don't want to offend you. And I'm like, you can ask me anything. Nothing offends me. She said, have you and Alan ever considered adoption? And I was like, well, as a matter of fact, God's been working on that a little bit. And she said, I'm in a Bible study with an attorney, and there's a young college-age student who's gotten pregnant and has not found a couple that she feels right adopting this child. Would you and Alan ever consider adoption? And I started just—it was like the Lord was saying, yes, this is what you need to pursue. So I immediately got off the phone, called Alan, and he was like, yeah, let's go for it reading their bio and like it was it was just evident like once we had selected them it's like God's peace was just all over it um, and it, it was neat to be able to have the other couples to where you, you didn't have that peace and then to you know for the couple that the Lord had just dropped in our laps you know to feel the such a drastic difference in the peace and that choice. This was probably early February, and the due date was the end of April. And so we didn't have a lot of time, but God just provided. It was the coolest few months of planning and preparing for this child that we had prayed for. And I had a life verse at that point, and it was Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him, trust also in him, and he will do it. And through this whole journey of infertility, I just had committed to, Lord, you know the plans that you have for us. His father and I knew that we weren't raising him, but in as much as we could, wanted to de dedicate him and his life to the Lord. And so we were able to have 
a dedication ceremony in the hospital and friends and family were able to come and it was our way of giving him to the Lord in his life and being able to, you know, dedicate his, you know, his life to the Lord as best that we could um, for the short amount of time that we had him. So I think it's neat for his life to have started that way. And so it was nice, even in those three days that he was with us for, um, to be surrounded by our family and our friends and our, the college group came up one night and everybody got to meet him. Our son was born May 2nd, and right before he was born, we got the call that the birth mom had requested that her mom and dad hand him to us in the hospital. So it was my mom and dad and my brother and Alan and I in this room, and in walks our birth mom's mom and dad with the most beautiful boy we, I have ever seen. And to be honest, there are some babies that are ugly, This was not an ugly baby. He was the most beautiful boy I'd ever seen in this beautiful white linen outfit with a quilt that the mother had made. And, of course, not a dry eye in the room as we shared tears of joy for this child that we had prayed for and so many of our friends had prayed for with us and something that God totally had planned from the very beginning. I always knew um, that this was the right decision and that I always say it's the easiest choice I ever made, but the hardest thing I ever had to do. He gave me nine months to to change my ways, to change my habits, to change my friends, and I just, I wouldn't have had that, you know, if he hadn't chosen such a beautiful way to bring me back to him. Welcome, Lori Cox. Now, for those who, who may not know you, because you and Alan don't go to Four Oaks here, you should, okay? And, and I would con- strongly ask you to prayerfully consider that. But anyway, no, just give us, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you and Alan met, how y'all came to Tallahassee. So I grew up in Tallahassee. Alan also grew up in Tallahassee. We both attended Leon High School. His dad was the football coach, and um, I had, had his mother in seventh grade for a teacher, crazy, um, I went to Auburn War Eagle, great game last night if you missed it, or yesterday. Um, came, ended up teaching in Augusta, came back to Tallahassee where we met. So after college is when we actually met. And I was 27 when we got married. Alan was 30. So we were a little bit older when we married and just enjoyed those first few years just traveling and, you know, being newly married. And then it's like, you know what, it's probably time to start having some children and you know you just assume that once you start trying you're gonna get pregnant we taught schools taught hundreds and thousands of kids and didn't think a big deal about it but then as you start really praying about God's plan for your life who would have ever dreamed that God had this plan and it has been an amazing plan so there's so many things here one let me just ask you this Nancy because you mentioned it to me it's pretty incredible that we have footage that you have that you've recorded all of this so this was all happening back in 1996 no idea that one day god was going to bring i don't know what my question is except to say what in the world i know somebody was watching this isn't reenactment no we really i mean i don't think it was an accident annie just wanted pictures of him and so we videoed everything because that's all she thought she would ever have of him wow now, Annie, you said something really profound. You said it was, uh, 
Well, tell us the phrase. It's, it was the hardest decision. It was the easiest decision I ever had to make, but the hardest thing I ever had to do. So, so talk about that in the process of deciding to, and looking for the right adoptive parents. It was so clear um, that God had completely chosen this family. Um, and I made the decision to place him up for adoption and um, rested in that decision knowing that um, God had given me these nine months and this is what he was using to, to bring me home to him, to change my life, to, um, you know, I, I got heavily involved in our college group and they, um, along with the leaders of our college group, like, and my family and friends were like the rock that completely helped me, you know, completely changed my life. Um, and it was an easy decision because I knew that's what was best for him. Um, and I had made that decision, you know, before all the emotions in the hospital kind of hit. And so um, doing that was the hardest thing, you, as you can imagine. Um, but I could rest in the peace of knowing that I had made the decision before the emotions kind of hit and, and just being able to 100% stand on the knowledge that this was God's will. Or you mentioned in the video that God had begun to work on you. What, tell us about that. What was that like for you and Alan? You know, I, many of you probably have struggled through for, with infertility. And so you get to a certain point where it's very costly. Um, and then it's like, God, is this the right plan you have for us? And I think bottom line is being obedient to what God has called you to do. And as we had friends praying and this old elderly lady at our church that was praying and sent this article out of a mission magazine about adoption, that's kind of God started planting those seeds. I was teaching at a school where my principal and assistant principal both had adopted children. And we were sitting at lunch one day and just had the conversation. I started asking them all these questions and, and they were very open and honest, uh, just their situations and stories. And that's when I said, just at this point, because it can be a very tedious, long process, a journey of many highs and lows. And I said, at this point in our life, I just don't, God would need to drop it in our laps. And so three weeks later, you know, it was so obvious that this was God's plan for us. Now, some of you are probably wondering, now, how in the world did God bring these families together? Because it was a total closed adoption, even though we were both in Tallahassee. So we had never met, didn't know her name, wouldn't have known her name. Let's find out how that happened, and this is pretty cool. So growing up an adopted uh, kid, that was just who I was. As much as my red hair is who I am, I was, I was adopted. I kind of wondered who my birth mom was, but I never lost any sleep about it. I knew that she loved me and loved me enough to give me up for a better life when she was I mean, younger than I am right now. And as life goes on, um, Lee always knew he was adopted. We never held that from him. From day one, um, he was loved on and prayed for. And um, it was he was a great baby until about age three. It, things got to be pretty challenging. <laughs> there were a couple of times while he was growing up, I was trying to find that girl's address, see if he, she'd take him back. So then we're going to fast forward to when Lee was about 16. And, and as a sophomore in high school driving and not making some great great choices well that Christmas I got an email from Lee's birth grandmother asking if Alan and I would like to meet Lee's birth mom and her husband 
And I, at first we were taken back and I'm not, not real sure, but realizing that, you know what, our children are not our own. And if this is something that, you know, that God can use, then absolutely. So I said, yeah, we'll go meet them. Well, we met at El Jalisco's and immediately Alan and I just fell in love with Lee's birth mom and her husband. And um, we saw pictures of her four children that were adorable. It was fun to see Alan and uh, Laurie look at Annie and her faces were like Lee's and oh that's just like Lee and it was just really fun. Her love for the Lord and the journey that God had put her on was such a, it was a powerful testimony and what she kept saying in that conversation is how God used him to rescue her and again she reiterated that she was making some very poor choices when she found herself in a crisis pregnancy and how God used her pregnancy to bring her back to him and how you know, that God had used Lee. When I was 18, I was in my room, and my mom was in there just chatting one night, and I had thought about how cool it would be to meet my birth mom, you know. Um, not that I had ever felt incomplete. Like, I never felt like I didn't have a mother or my mother was inadequate. Um, I, was, I felt complete and whole, uh, and who I was and where God had placed me, but I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to meet her, and I didn't know if it would ever happen, but I told my mom, and she's so awful at keeping secrets, like she couldn't hide her surprise. I had pulled into the parking lot at church one day to go to work, and my phone rang, and it was my mom, and I answered, and she was in tears, and she said, Annie, he wants to meet you. And I went out in the hall at work, and I was just, Bruh. And everybody was, you know, what has happened? I said, my daughter's son wants to meet her. On the Saturday before Mother's Day, um, we were driving down to Orlando. I live up in Deland, and we were driving down to Orlando, and we get a message from a friend that the Saturday before Mother's Day is birth Mother's Day. So here I am, getting to meet my son, 18 years later on Birth Mother's Day. A few weeks later, very quickly, we had set up uh, a meeting with my birth mother in Orlando at my aunt and uncle's house at their condo. And um, so that day I was pretty nervous. I um, definitely didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what she was going to look like. She was the last person to walk in the door. First was this older lady that looked like about a grandmother's age, and I, I just knew that wasn't my birth mom. And then um, this tall, slender black guy walks in, and that wasn't my birth mother. And so I walked into this room filled with family, and then all of a sudden this figure comes across the room and just envelops me in the best hug I'd ever had. And I don't know why, I hadn't planned that. I'd, I didn't know what I was gonna do, um, but I just walked up and embraced her uh, as my mother. And it was just the completion of such redemption, just the completion of my story um, to that point. I didn't even get a chance to look at him, so when, uh, when we, stopped hugging I just got to look at him and 
it was just perfect. And it was just the most amazing day to be able to, just to be able to walk into his life. And it has been the biggest blessing for our family. Um, we have become really close. I feel like she's a sister that I, a long lost sister, and our families have been able to spend a couple Thanksgivings together and Christmases. They all came to my graduation and her four crazy, beautiful children, they all came and I got to meet my four half-siblings. Growing up an only child, meeting four, I mean, kids that are 11 and under, not having any siblings growing up, I mean, it was, it was, I was blown away. I mean, to these four ch kids now think that I'm just the coolest person in the world, and what an opportunity that is to, to pour into their lives as they're growing up. Right there, I was like, that is a picture of God's redemption, because he, out of the brokenness of her 18 years ago, not ever dreaming she would ever see this child, that God and his graciousness and he is so good um, to provide this gift of her getting to see her son that she had placed for adoption 18 years ago. What a picture of how God welcomes us back into our family like the prodigal son the the father of the prodigal son just welcomes him back with a hug um, smelling of, of pig slop and probably very dirty but he just doesn't care he welcomes us back and so um, Ephesians 2:19 says that we're no longer strangers to God but we're adopted into his own family and so um, that verse really hit home to me about my story and not that I was lacking in anything before but this incredible addition to my family now uh, I'm even more whole than I was before This would not be complete unless Lee was here. Um, so, Lee, when you saw Nancy, you realized that wasn't your birth mother. Is that what you're saying? Yes. An old woman. An old woman. Okay, got it. That was helpful. Thank you. So, so Lee, besides riding motorcycles, okay, which you rode up here this morning, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you don't go to Four Oaks. You go to Engage Church, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. You should be here with your, with your mom. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So just tell, where did you go to school? How did you become a Christian? What's your testimony? Well, um, I went to Roberts Elementary with my mom. Um, she was a PE teacher, and that's where I went. Then I went to Deer Lake, and then Childs, where my dad was a principal. So, um, you know, always set up for success. My mom was a PE teacher where I went to elementary school. My dad was a principal where I went to high school. 
Um, so he plug, got me plugged in with the best teachers, you know, all the, all the, 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 the successful stuff. Did steps. he do that? He, he? Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I always had the best teachers. Um, growing up, um, I don't remember my, my parents ever telling me that I was adopted. You know, I've heard, or not heard, but like, you know, in media, you know, you're adopted. Oh, my gosh. That's, you know, this is life changing. But I never had that. I mean, I, I grew up, um, I guess they just, like Annie said, when, when I was brought home, I guess they just told me I was adopted. And I, I always knew what it meant. Um, there was never a time when I wasn't, when I didn't know who I was. Um, I had thought about who Annie was. Um, I pictured her as this, like, taller woman. Look kind of like my fifth grade science teacher, Miss Davidson, with like very dark. Oh, maybe she's in the crowd. Um, <laughs> but it's Tallahassee, man. It's a small town. Yeah, with like long brown hair. Um, I don't know. It's so. I'm, I was thinking about this while sitting in the in the audience. I'm, it's so foreign to me to think about not knowing Annie. To to think about. Um, I mean, just four years ago, almost five years ago. It's so weird to think about not knowing her what my life was like before that um it's because there's so many incredible memories that have just completely overshadowed all those the previous um, memories of not knowing her who she is so it's it's honestly difficult to draw on like who i was before meeting her um one of the things that you know came into maple street biscuit yesterday as is my habit and all of these these families were together and you would never know that you weren't all biologically related. I mean, you were behaving better than some of the biological families that were there. But, and you had your kids, and it was just this big festive thing. I just want to ask each of you to reflect on this. How is this possible? How, how is it possible? God? Yes, good answer. Always the correct answer. Jesus. Yeah. Uh- um, I don't know. You had asked, we had talked to you earlier that um, I mean Annie had wanted to meet her mother, so we were used to this. Um, Annie wanted to, her mother to be at her wedding, and so we did a search, and a month before her wedding, we found her, and that was neat. I'll let Annie tell you about that. Um. <clears throat> We, she ended up being in Jacksonville. We found her about a month before the wedding, and so we got to meet, and I met one of my sisters, and um, I would, had been a secret in her life my whole, like, as long as she, since she had had me, and so not many people knew about me. So um, for her to kind of, we asked her if she would be seated as a mother in the wedding and um, as one of the mothers, and she um, was hesitant but ended up, uh, one of my sisters talked her into it, and she said that... Um, Coming to the wedding and meeting my family and um, being loved on and welcomed and celebrated was so healing for her because it had just been this big, dark secret her entire life. Um, I do feel it's so much different than this side of the story, Um, just that my adoption is, or my adoption story and, you know, getting pregnant is so, is such a huge part of who I am and and my walk with Christ and how he brought me home and... um, I shot it from the rooftops every time I can get a chance to, but I think that um, you know it's all possible because of God. And if I had if I had chosen abortion, this story would not be here. Right. Um, and I think that's a big, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, um, him. Yes. Yeah, okay. um, this, I mean, this this whole beautiful you know God story would have 
Well, not been here. So, Lori, let me ask you to, as you're thinking about your answer to that, too. What was that like for you, uniquely? I mean, you've your mom, been mom for his whole life, and seeing these worlds come together. What was what's going and, through your and mind? And I heart? can just assure you. And I was as I was thinking, all of us that are moms and dads, do we never give up praying for your children, and knowing that God, whatever He's going to use to continue to draw them. And I shared with you, Lee. He accepted Christ in middle school and through a Disciple Now weekend. And, but then about age 16, not making some great choices. It was about that time that Alan and I met Annie and her husband, who she kept saying that God had used him to rescue her. I mean, probably 10, 15 times in our conversation. One night talking in his room, I said, Lee, I want to tell you something, but if you want me to stop, tell me to stop. I said, I want you to know your dad and I met your birth mom. And he was like, what? And I said, she looks just like you from here, you know, your face, mouth, and we were laughing about her expressions. But I said, here's what I need to tell you is that she kept saying she was making some very poor choices when she was, got pregnant with you. I said, um, God has used you to rescue you. God used you to rescue her. You've had hundreds of people praying for you. You have no idea, and God's got a great plan for you. So don't mess it up. Walked out of his room, and he was 16 years old at Child's, but honestly, we never talked about it again. We never had any more contact again. Never dreamed in a million years that Lee would ever want to meet his birth mom. But God really started using that, I think, in his life. And then when they met, it was such a beautiful picture that God used Lee to rescue Annie. I really believe in a lot of ways that God has used Annie and her family in Lee's life to strengthen his faith and walk. Would you agree? Yeah, what's that been like for you, Lee? Um, I would say that, like my mom said, I was um, you know, baptized, accepted Jesus in my life in middle school, but the real life change didn't happen, I would say. It, it started senior year of high school. Um, that's when like, I really started to, to you know, live for the Lord, and um, that's definitely when my walk started. And um, at the end of my senior year, um, Birth Mother's Weekend was when I was when I met Annie, so they, you know, like the, the real life change in meeting Annie kind of line up, and so I would say that um, that's not just a coincidence, um, and all of this, I would say all of this happened because um, Annie opened me up to her entire family, I mean, I met her and Nancy and her brother and a family friend of theirs, and then um, I met her husband and her four kids, and then um, just recently, we got to share a story at her church in, in Deland, and so now I met her whole church family, you know, and um, it's not just our story. It's, the, you know, the Coxes and the Helms, you know, coming together, and it's all of our stories, um, ultimately glorifying God. But I would say um, this happens because Annie welcomed me and my mom and my dad and our whole family into their family, and so. Yeah. I mean, Four Oaks, is this not the gospel? This is, this is the kingdom. This is the, the body of Christ. Because we could, I mean, I've, I've, I'll just, I'm jealous for you, Four Oaks, because I've gotten to spend a little bit of time with all these folks in different ways and have heard just, I mean, there's a hundred things that we, could, that we could talk about, but all of it is a testimony of what happens through Jesus Christ. There's no other place in the world, I'm convinced, that this kind of stuff happens like this, where there, the humility, the courage, the transparency. Guys, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for telling your story. 
and now you have to do it again second surface, okay? But no, but, but I'm going to, guys, let's do this for Oaks. Let's thank them for sharing their stories. They return to their seats. Why don't you take your seats just for a second? Let me, let me tell you how we're going we're gonna to close our service today. I'm going to ask all of our adoptive fostering families, if, if you have adopted, if fostering is part of your background, if you're connected to that at all, I want to ask you to make your way on stage right now. We're going to get all of you up here. And as they're making their way up here, I, I, folks, again, I just want you to think about the kingdom of God, and all the stories. Maybe we can pull some of these back. Um, you can't stand behind the chairs. You've got to stand in front. There we go. I want you to think about all the stories that are represented here. And even at Four Oaks, this is just a fraction. Okay, so there, there's more people, second service. And Martin, I see you hiding down there. You come up here too. You're involved in, in, in fostering. Because one of the, the things that we want to say here at Four Oaks is we want to, to stand with families, not just through the process of adoption, as important as that is. Folks, we, we, want, we want to stand with these folks through the long Range. We want to be there for the long haul. We want to come alongside of you, be praying for you, encouraging you, um, doing what we can to, to serve you. Because we know that the decision to adopt or to foster is just the beginning, is it not? There's, um, it starts a whole lifetime, lifelong process, which is glorious. It is great, but it's hard. It's hard. Um, a couple of my friends here, Kevin and Annette Edward. Why don't you come up here just for a second? Kevin and Annette uh, adopted how long ago? Five years. Five years with Joel. And Kevin and Annette have had a particular burden for seeing um, care, support, and encouragement go out on an ongoing basis to our adoptive families. And so as, as, if this is something that God has stirred in your heart, um, we don't know what that looks like. Kevin just got put in charge of a ministry by coming up here. Okay, very nice. We don't know what this looks like, but we want you to pray for us and pray for them that, that we would know. And you may say, you know, I, I don't have an, you know, I'm not, I don't have an adopted or I'm not involved in foster care, but I would love to, to be a support to these families. We come talk to Kevin, come talk to Annette, come, we don't have a plan. We don't have a, a ministry action agenda. But we're just asking you to pray that God would show, what, show us here at Four Oaks what this can look like. So that's one thing to pray for. I'm going to ask the Demeters to come up here and join me. Can I say something, Paul? You may say something. Is there a mic back there? Part of the reason why Annette and I felt led that we'd like to see a ministry in the church for adoptive families was uh, 
listening to Lee's dad when uh, Lee was age three, and he said, I wanted to find the birth mother, and I just wanted to give Lee back to her. <laughs> Satan, Satan puts those thoughts in your mind. And if, uh, it's great to be surrounded by believers, and it's great to have the uh, family of Christ praying for you and supporting you. But it's also great to know that uh, what you're feeling is normal and uh, that other people have been through that same walk with you. And uh, so that was the reason why Annette and I felt led uh, that we'd like to see a ministry in the church. And then to, to so you've got the families that are in the discovery mode that uh, feel a slight nudge on their heart uh, that want to do something. And then you've got the families that are in the middle of the process of getting um, certified so they can adopt or they can foster. And then you got, you're going through the process. You're in the hospital alone and, and we didn't, we weren't allowed to have any support. Come to find out it was supposed to, it was closed and the uh, birth mother shouldn't have known anything about us. Uh, and then you bring the child home. And even though we had had biological children 10 years later, uh, it was like starting all over again with Joel. And, and each step of the way, now we're in the five-year-old uh, stage with Joel and VPK, and we'll have a teenager one day, and, and then coming to conclusion uh, with Lee. We've known Annie and Nancy for over 20 years, so seeing the uh, story come to completion and, and having that testimony is just a wonderful uh, encouragement to us. So, and we'd like to offer that to other families, and so that's what Annette and I are, are praying for and hoping for for Four Oaks. Thanks, Kev. Demeters, this is a family. Just hold on. This is a family that is going to join the ranks of those who are up here already. You guys are in the middle of going through an international adoption. And let's flash the picture of your, of your little girl up there. There she is. I, I said you wouldn't have to say anything, but let me just, okay, very briefly, tell us about who this precious one is and how we can pray for you guys in this season. Hi. Um, so this is Fiona. And we have been brought to her through the Lord. She has been brought to us through the Lord. We were adopted by God. Um, and then on top of that, these blessings of the church, adopting us into Four Oaks, and then matching us with this girl. I mean, it's just incredible. All the praise, all of it, all of it, all of it goes to him. And we're just blessed beyond measure to have any chance to possibly share any part of that with any of you guys. So I appreciate it so much that you allow us to come up and share any part of that with you. She has some special needs, right? She does. She, um, Fiona has cerebral palsy, um, but with international adoption, or at least in our case, I don't speak for all international adoption, but at least in our case, it's limited the information that you get, or for us it is. Um, so we don't know to what degree that is or how that will affect her life um, in the long run. Could be any any variation. Um, so we shall see, and we will walk together in, in helping her through whatever her needs are. Folks, there is a fundraiser after the second service, so go home and do whatever it is that you do there. But come back after the second service. There's an ongoing financial need. There's obviously going to be medical expenses as you return. I think you guys, I was told this morning, you have about $7,000 still to raise just for the adoption travel costs themselves. And so come, come be a part of that. You may say, well, I don't want to eat soup. That's okay. We'll take your credit card and swipe it over and over and over <laughs> again. That is, that is, that is totally, totally allowed. You may say, Pastor Paul, what now? What now? As I walk away from this service, I don't necessarily feel God calling me to foster or adopt or what have you. One, I would just say, have you ever prayed about that? 
Now, I, I warn you, that's dangerous, okay, when you start to ask God to, to work in that way. But I do know that he's called us. I don't know what your role is or mine, but I know God has called us as a church family to embrace this. And so let me just point out a couple of resources before we go today. And Martin is right over here. Raise your hand, Ann. Ann um, has been involved in guarding ad litem, helping to be a legal representative for children who are in the foster care system who have no advocates. Um, if you are interested in knowing more about that, then, then talk to Ann. She's going to be outside at the kiosk um, outside today. Christine Thurman. Christine, will you stand up just for a second? Christine is a, is a lawyer here in town, has, um, deals a lot with uh, adoptions and the legal side of the process. And if you have questions um, maybe pertaining to the legalities and those sort of things, talk to Christine. She's going to be out at the kiosk as well um, after the service. And again, you go by the kiosk, there's going to be materials on foster care, adoption, Bethany Christian Services, Florida Baptist Children's Home, a whole host of things. And... Um, and but my, my main encouragement would be to pray. Pray for these folks. Pray that God would show you what your part in this process is. I'm going to ask us all to stand. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dismiss. And we particularly pray this, say this for, for you families who stand here. Just, we're so thankful that you're allowing us to be a part of your, of your story. Paul says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him.